Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a great, amazing show for the new season. Uh, you know, always try to get people that I've known and people that I haven't seen in a long time. And I got I'm, it's a pleasure to have this person come on the show. She's coming all the way from Los Angeles, California. You know, she we've been talking about doing making this happen for the longest time. She's like, let's do a Zoom now. If you come through Baltimore, we gotta make it happen. So and here I am. So, <laughs> so without further ado, Miss Jen, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me on. Miss Jen, she is pretty big time on LA. She's doing some big things out there. She's uh the CEO of Press Pass LA. Uh, she's been doing big things, work at the PR field and whatnot. And she's a, she used to be a former comedian. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. Well, we go way back. Let's be honest. We do go way back. Way we, back to the college days. Uh-oh. We're not going to go <laughs> see. We're not going to go there, folks. We, we, just, we won't kick it off with those stories. Nah, we can't. But yes, we went, we go back to Syracuse. Uh, back in Syracuse uh, when it was very cold and... Uh, we were just trying to remember like the names of the dorms and that's how you know you're getting old. <laughs> that's when you know you're getting old. But uh, like, what was that dorm called? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that she's here. She was visiting her family in VA and she's like, hey, Aaron, can I come up and do an interview? I was like, let's do it. No Zoom. Let's do it. Let's make this happen. And I'm so excited that she'll be on the episode. Maybe probably Women's History Month, maybe. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to make it happen. Though. Um, but she's a pioneer. She's doing big things. And that's why I wanted to have her on the show today, just to make sure people understand what trials and tribulations she's gone through and things that, you know, she's excelled in and we're really want to celebrate that. And also I was super excited to come and see Baltimore. I, my sister's outside DC my parents are in Jersey. I'm always driving through Baltimore and I'm like, Aaron is doing all the big things here. I like follow the show. I was like, I need to do this in person. It can't be on a zoom. It's not the same. I appreciate love. That's that's something I love. So tell a little bit about, okay, first we know you're from Jersey. You said a little bit Jersey. Um, you went to Syracuse, good old Cuse. When did you move to L.A.? Like, how did you get out to L.A.? Yeah. So, I mean, right after, like, literally, like, a week after graduation, I packed up a bag and I went to L.A. Um, I didn't really have a plan. I stayed in a hotel for about a month and I tried to get a job. I kept, like, interviewing places. And it was funny. Nobody would hire me because they're like, well, you don't live here? I'm like, well, as soon as you give me a job, I'll sign a lease. So, like, I'm looking at apartments, but I don't want to sign a, a lease without a job. So, it was this weird catch-22 and uh, at the end of the month, I was like, okay, I don't really have a plan. Got to decide what I want to do. And I actually got a, a good opportunity to work at Tribeca Films in New York City, um, which is Robert De Niro's company. And so I decided I was going to come back. And my, I, made, I made a goal that I would do one year in New York, and then I would move to LA. So I had time to save some money, make some contacts, and make a, make a real plan, not just like show up. And so that's what I did. I went to New York for a year, worked... Um, with Tribeca and Innovative, because uh, Tribeca, I was an intern there all through Syracuse, through college. So they helped me get a, a more full-time job uh, at Innovative Artists, which was a talent management company, and did a year there. And then at the end of the year, I had made some connections with uh, Mark Burnett Productions. And I, I worked on The Apprentice with Donald Trump. I don't know if I should say that <laughs> now. Or, <laughs> that was my first uh, job that was on set. It was, it was honestly, it was an awesome, fun time. I could have never predicted he would be the president, but uh, it was an interesting for a reality show. And uh, then I begged them to hire me in LA and they're like, well, we can't guarantee anything. I'm like, okay, well, here I come again. I'm coming out again with no guarantee, but I went out and then they hired me, uh, Mark Burnett Productions hired me uh, on The Contender, which was a boxing show with Sly Stallone and Sugar Ray Leonard. And that was my first job in LA. And that's how I got out there. Nice, nice. I love hearing that story. And that's what you know, this was about this podcast about positive stories, people making their way 
and just keep on pushing and keep on pushing. And I love how you just did that. You were living I just in a kept hotel. Anno- I just kept annoying them. <laughs> <laughs> but you were living in a hotel, though. That's crazy, right? I know. And even then when I went out there the second time, because it wasn't guaranteed, I stayed with a friend of mine's brother, and he had this big house with a bunch of guys. They were all Syracuse people, actually. So they were like, oh, we'll help you out. Come stay here for a little bit on Mount Olympus. And I stayed there maybe for about a week and I literally showed up every day at the Mark Burnett offices in Santa Monica. I was like, so, hey, are you going to hire me? Cause I'm here now. I'm like, I think they were just like, this girl's not going away. So they just hired me. And then I literally within like two days, looked at a bunch of apartments, signed a lease and there I was. And then I, I had nothing really with me, just a suitcase. So I shipped my car and all my stuff out. It didn't come for like two weeks. So for the first two weeks I was out there with like my iPad, a blow up mattress on like a pop-up chair and there I was just living in an apartment there and there was no uber at that time folks there was Uh, no uber there was no uber (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) so how'd you even get around I didn't too much in the beginning um but as soon as the car got there thank god because I was working that show filmed in Pasadena which um I I didn't know where to live so I got I got a place in West Hollywood because I figured well this is central to everything depending on where they put me and we worked in uh, Pasadena just like a good drive now. Like now that I know LA, I like if someone was like, Hey, you want to work in Pasadena? You live in Hollywood. I'd probably say no, but, but I did it. And it was, it was awesome. Tell people a little bit who haven't been out to LA. I mean, I know driving around there. I remember I went to Manhattan beach to Hollywood. My boy gave me a, like back when we were doing CDs and he made a mixed CD for me. And he was, I was like, what is this for? He was like, because you're about to hit that traffic. Uh, how, Everyone yeah. talks about the traffic. Look, I guess, cause I grew up around New York city I felt like the commute from Jersey to New York City was equally horrid. So I wasn't as shocked as I think the average person, but it is really bad. Like, I mean, I still to this day, I, I, like, I live in Hollywood. So Hollywood and West Hollywood are adjacent. So maybe a couple miles away. But, um, you know, to go to the beach, it's maybe 14 miles, but it's like a good hour, hour and a half. Right, <laughs> so right, you just have right. to plan. Like, you just have to know that anywhere you go, you got to leave extra time, which for me, who tends to run late, I like try to leave extra, extra time. Um, probably the only thing about the pandemic that was good, good, not that there's too many good things. The only silver lining was that you could avoid traffic and there hardly wasn't in traffic. And people kind of got used to Zoom in other ways, which has been nice now as things are changing back. Because before I remember being like, oh, I have to take a meeting in Santa Monica. Well, there goes literally half the day. Like if I have to be at a 10 a.m. meeting, I got to leave by eight. I won't get back to like 12, one. So it's like now it's like, okay, we can do a little FaceTime or whatever and save, save the time. I love it. I love it. So you learned how, how long did you work for Mark Burnett's show? And, and then also tell us a little bit about your comedian, how you wanted to get in comedy also. Sure. So I worked, so I ended up working just the apprentice and then the contender. And then, um, just those two shows with Mark Burnett productions, but the women, there were the two women on set, which is very uncommon for the film industry. Um, they were the ADs, the assistant directors, uh, Casey Mako and Sonia Bala shout out. We haven't talked in years, but if you happen to hear this, they took me under their wing and they actually took me with them to all the productions that they did. So I didn't end up staying with the company per se, but I stayed with those women. Um, and so I went on to work on quite a bit of stuff. I worked on like Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, House, like the early seasons of those shows, um, quite a few movies. Thank you for smoking. Uh, one of the American Pie movies actually came back here, did War of the Worlds. So quite quite a few things in production for about like seven or eight years. All right. And then from there, what did you use? Because like, I know you, you're a comedian somehow. Were you so, doing that on the you side? Know what? So I, when I, it's interesting. I actually didn't do comedy so much later. Okay. So when I went to Syracuse, I originally wanted to go to be a comedy writer and actor. Uh, my parents were always like 
semi-supportive of me being in entertainment, but not necessarily of me being like a comedy actor. They were like, no, we're not sending you to expensive <laughs> school for comedy acting. So, so I, um, I don't know why they thought screenwriting was a more stable career choice, but I went for screenwriting. Um, when I first moved to LA, I really wanted to get a writer's assistant job on a comedy show. But like I said, you just kind of take what you can when you first get there. And I was lucky, like Mark Burnett was an amazing reality show company. So I ended up starting in reality and then did a lot of TV film and ironically, a lot of dramas <laughs> versus comedies. Um, but I always was writing comedy. I was always still taking uh, comedy acting classes and workshops with cast and directors. And uh, I kind of resisted actually for a long time. People would say to me, oh, you should try to do like Groundlings or UCB and, and then, you know, try it for like the SNL world or stand up. I really resisted um, stand up for a long time. I don't know why now, but I did. And also just like sketch because I was more into like situational comedy where you're technically kind of playing it more serious, like, but the situation is what makes it funny versus more of that like slapstick type comedy. Um, but yeah, like if, I guess it was, I don't know. One of my directors that I worked with, he finally like forced me to do stand up. He basically was like, you're going to write a stand up routine and you're going to bring it in here next week and do over the class. And I was like, I don't know anything about it, blah, blah, blah. But I did it and I loved it. And then it, he kind of convinced me um, to meet with some of these people that he knew that worked uh, the improv and the comedy store. And they were like, no, you have a knack for this. So I ended up doing the uh, stand up comedy circuit for about five years. Um, this was like, but I'd already been in LA for quite a while, but I did it for about five years and really just up until the pandemic. And then everything kind of shut down. So I've had this like two year hiatus and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to get back in there or not. We got, I, I got to find a film with that. There God, there has to be film out there. With you. There's like an old YouTube <laughs> out there. You know, what's funny is they don't let you film at the comedy oh, store right. or the improv. They don't want you to film. Um, and I get that. Uh, so, but there is like one of the very first ones I ever did. Um, I think because it was like a workshop scenario, they let us film it. And so that one's out there. And to be honest, I like for a first one, I'm like, I'm pretty proud. That was, I might've gotten worse after that. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, what's really funny. Um, Anthony Anderson from mm -hmm. Blackish, and he was a friend of my friend uh, who came to see me in this show and she brought him and he was sitting there in the front row. And I remember right before I went up, I'm like, oh my God, like a really good co comedy actor is going to be watching me. No, like I'm going to be terrible. But his laugh is so loud and <laughs> infectious. He, he laughed so hard. And I don't know if he was being nice or he really thought it was funny, but he laughed so hard that like the whole audience laughed and it just made it like, it just made the room like really on my side. And it was still to this day, like I, I remember it as being one of the best shows I did, even though it was my first show. Nice, nice. <laughs> Folks, we'll be right back after these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out and they also do wholesale visit Zeke's coffee at 4719 Hartford Road open Monday through Friday 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday 8 to 5 p.m. kitchen closes at 3 p.m. or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's the no picks after dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm located at 4341 
Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store, and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we are back, and again, we're with Miss Jen from Press Pass LA, and she's CEO, CFO, everything. She's a baller. She does amazing things. She was telling us a little recap of her moving out to LA her first jobs, her gigs, also doing some comedian comedy routine and whatnot. But we're going to we're get a little bit into her entrepreneur, entrepreneur and working for her own self. Let's talk about Press Pass LA. How did we get here? It's an interesting story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so after all the, this is before the comedy stuff, but after all the TV production that I had done and I'd worked at some of the agencies, I kind of was a little frustrated with the fact that I felt okay, I really want to sell my scripts or be a writer, be, you know, be a comedy actor. I'm just kind of on set all the time or being someone's assistant. Like I, I knew I had to make a change, but I wasn't sure what it was. Um, and I worked for like a pretty miserable woman at the time. I won't name her, but kind of like makes devil wears Prada look like a kitty cat. But, mm. um, and I kind of was just like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta get out of this job because I like, I'm miserable. So I remember leaving my job and I had always just so everybody I had always waitress at this place called Marmalade at the Grove. It's still there. Go eat there if you can, a local local place. Um, even when I did TV production, because sometimes you have months off in between the show where if you're a producer, you can afford that. But not if you're not if you're a PA. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so sometimes I would uh, I would keep that job. Even if I worked five days a week on set, I'd work a weekend there. Right. So I decided to go there kind of full time for a little bit to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was like, Oh, I'm doing a reverse cliche. Now I'm waitressing and trying to figure out after I've already been here seven, eight years, but what do I want to do? And so I was writing a lot. I was auditioning a lot. I was trying to get, um, my scripts out there and I got a job working with a company called Celebcast. They're like, Oh, you'd be great as a red carpet reporter. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like I never really saw myself as like an E type of red carpet reporter. But they're like, well, it's a little different. It's going to be a live streaming show. So we want someone who is funny and can think on their feet because you're going to be live for an hour to two hours every time we send you to a red carpet. And, you know, red carpets look glamorous, but there's like a whole lot of time where nothing happens. You're just like waiting for an hour, like literally nothing happens. And then five seconds, they all show up and then it's over. So I started doing this red carpet reporting live to the point where I was like interviewing the security guard. But you would be surprised. People have stories. I'd be like, okay, so you've been a security guard here at the 
Golden Globes red carpet for 10 years. Like, what's the craziest things you ever saw? You know, so I started doing that. And then long story short, I worked with them for a while and started doing the red carpet circuit, getting, uh, you know, Us Weekly and some other publications hired me to start doing red carpet. And I, I just was like, you know what? There's got to be a better way, though, because I felt like people were asking the wrong questions. Like they were on the carpets asking them, you know, what are you wearing? And like, what's your favorite hair product? Or like, just they're like dumb questions. And I'm like, I want to know how they got there. I want to know um, their story. So I decided one day, literally after a red carpet in the pouring rain, I had been out there with my videographer. We're soaking wet. I get in the car. I just remember like kind of cussing and slamming the door. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I said, I'm going to start my own website. I'm going to start my own website and I'm going to do it better than these big companies. And that's what I'm going to do. I, I was kind of crazy at the time. And I remember going into like literally the waitressing, like they would see me waitress a shift, go in the bathroom, change into a red carpet dress and then run to a red carpet. Like that was for real. Like I would literally be like serving your fries. And I'm like, I got to go because I got to be at the Oscars check-in in like 10 minutes. And that's not an exaggeration. Like I was doing these massive events and also waitressing. Um, and so I then literally the next day, I like knew nothing about what I was doing, but I hired a web designer. I, you know, started thinking about names. I decided Press Pass LA. Yeah, it sounds like it's been around. Maybe people will think we're bigger than we are. So I picked it, um, you know, did a look, but it, you know, it sounds simple, simple, but did a logo design. And then I decided, you know, I can't put this live with like two posts, like no one's going to care. So I, I took a risk and I decided I'm going to do six months of content before I put the site live which I know is going to hurt the engagement because who's going to look at an article six months old, but it was more for me to have like some credibility and have that time to make mistakes too. So I did six months of content and then in 2011, so I started like November, 2010, I think it was like August of 2011. I was like, okay, the site's going live as soon as I hit six months. And so that's like 10 years ago now, which is crazy. <laughs> said 10 years wow yeah i don't know sometimes it feels like yesterday it's still going though it is still going and look like there's been ups and downs there's been times where i think man we should be further along than we are then there's times where i think back and i think like our very first event as press pass la was a celebrity meatball cook-off in orange county like <laughs> and it was like D-list reality stars trying to make their the best meatball right that was like literally our first thing for it was for charity and I look back now and I'm like, that was my first red carpet. Like it wasn't even really a red carpet, you know, but it was, it was so fun. And shout out to Donna Albano who hooked that up for me. Like just someone I met and, you know, but now today, like we, we do big things. Like we just did uh, the season two Hulu premiere for the great with Elle Fanning. We just did that last week. Um, you know, I just got our credential application for the Oscars. Like it's just a crazy, it's been a crazy ride. It's been, it's been, it's been nuts. And I still, sometimes I'm like, live in fear that uh, I'm going to be found out as a fake, but uh, you just got to put it, you know, consistency, like putting the work in every day for 10 years. Like, you know, you eventually you kind of know what you're doing. I love, I love hearing that story. I really do. Because I think a lot of people out here think it happens overnight. And I love that you said 2010. Now we're talking about 10 years later and you're still grinding. You're still we're, we're, we still grind. Like we fight for every spot still, because, you know, if you think about, the market we're in, I mean, we're in Los Angeles. So, you know, we're applying to the same things as these big companies like E and Entertainment Tonight and Extra and, you know, you know, Perez Hilton, all these big companies where, you know, we're 
you know, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, and we're out there and we're actually one of the only entertainment websites that is independently owned by an individual, me. Everyone else is owned by like a bigger uh, media company, you know, and has unlimited budgets. <laughs> we're, we're literally operating by me and a small staff that is passionate and believes in it. And our slogan is get what matters. Um, and that was always because I felt like I want to get the readers what I think matters, not the gossip necessarily, or, you know, the fluff, just more of the stories of aspirational. How do people get there? How do they give back to the community? What Hollywood to me is really about, it's not about the celebrity per se, but it's about people who are super passionate and artistic and move there with the dream and hustled every day. And it's like such a, uh, it can be such a grind, but it's such a, like an inspirational uh, feeling when you live there. So what things have you learned being an entrepreneur, just things that you could give advice to people going forward? Like, I mean, you've been doing it for 10 years straight. Things are starting to look like it's, it's an up and up. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to get advertisers, but you're still pushing away getting advertisers. Um, what would you say? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, be okay to admit like what you don't know. Cause there's still stuff that I don't know that I'm like, I don't know how to do this. You know, I try to find people that do. Um, and I think just realizing, you know, sometimes you have to pivot. So about four years ago, I started PPLA, which is, you know, the acronym of press pass LA, but, um, and that's our agency division. And the reason I started that, um, was twofold. One, even though I've had the site for 10 years, I still had to work full time for a lot of those years. I ended up, uh, I didn't want to go back to talent management or production, but I ended up going into um, like social media, digital marketing and public relations. Not necessarily because I wanted to, but because I had to pay the bills and I knew that I had to pay people to help me with the site. And I felt it was similar and that it was story. Like for me, it's all storytelling, like comedy, script writing, interviewing people. Like it's all telling someone's story. And that's what I'm really passionate about. So I did that for quite a few years. And then um, eventually I was like, you know, I need to focus full, full time on the website. So I'm just going to need to make it work. And then I decided that I should take some clients on my own and start an agency division. And I didn't know if that was traditional, right? Because PR and, and media are technically opposites in a way, like publicists pitch media, but they need each other. Like media needs stories. Publicists needs the media. And I started realizing that some of the bigger sites that have been successful also had agency divisions like BuzzFeed really makes their money on their advertising agency division. Um, Mashable, like quite a few of them have an agency wing, not necessarily PR. A lot of them tend to have a digital marketing and marketing wing, but I didn't really know that as much. And I felt it was a little fur further for me, but the storytelling was the same. So I decided to open our agency wing and now we're four years in and we rep clients uh, we rep talent, we rep brands, we rep individual CEOs or experts uh, across. We started with entertainment because that's what I knew um, and tech because I'd worked at a couple tech places. But now we do entertainment, tech, real estate, health and wellness, uh, pretty much the industries that are central to LA is what we focus on, even though we have clients that are all over. I have clients in Miami, New York, Australia, London. Um, and so again, like it wasn't part of the initial plan, but it, it, it's like adjusting and changing to get to the end goal. Mm, I, I love that. I love what you just said right there. You had to pivot. You had to figure things out. Um, I always tell people when I first started the podcast, it, was, it wasn't for Baltimore. It was all my Syracuse friends. 
that's how it was. That's how I wanted it in the beginning. But then I pivoted and I understood Baltimore needed a voice, needed something positive coming out of here. Um, something different from the alphabet places that come on TV, you know, and I think I've, I've started to hit that stride. And, and you make your niche and you, you kind of, you know, if somebody asked me, like when we graduated, I remember writing down when I graduated, like, what do I want to be doing mm-hmm. in five years, 10 years? You know, it's always like a little crazy, but I remember saying I wanted to have my own production company <laughs> and making movies and this and that. Right. And so I'm not exactly there, but I'm not exactly not there. You know what I mean? I have my own company. It's a media and PR instead of production, but we do some production stuff. And I still see in my vision of my long-term goals that we will have, you know, the entertainment, uh, industry news media side which we have now the agency which we have and then the third wing is the production and that's kind of what I'm focusing on building next so I think you just have to learn to sort of throw out the timeline a little bit and it's hard you know like I just turned 40 this week I'll say it out there loud and proud (laughs) a couple days ago and you know you have those moments where you're like oh my god what have I done and then you but then you also have those moments where you look back and you're like whoa I've like done a lot of different things you know and I think there's different chains of thoughts in the entertainment industry. I think some people will tell you, figure out what you want, all in on that, no backup plan. That's the only way to make it. And I believe that early on in my career. So I felt like, oh, this is why I'm not going to make it because I'm all, I'm going all over the place. But I also don't think that's realistic or true because for me, I never changed what I wanted. I always wanted to be a storyteller. I just changed the way that has come out mm. of me and my career. Um, And I think in a city like LA or really any city, but to survive, like I've been out there, you know, going on 18 years. So, you know, almost two decades, you really need to be open to whatever the opportunities are, because everything that I did led to something else that maybe I didn't think I would do, or like it it got me to hear. I know it sounds cheesy, but like looking back, it all makes sense. I'm like, oh yeah, that gig led to that, which led to this, which led here. But like, but at the time I was kind of like, what's going on? I'm just like doing whatever, you know, but it's worked out because I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things, to act, to be a stand-up, to be an entertainment reporter, to be behind the scenes. I mean, you'll see me literally at the grate. I wasn't even hosting. I was there operating the camera and videotaping one of our other hosts. And then I went home and edited. Like I'm the CEO of the company. I'm still out there like taping other people, editing it. I had an audio problem. I'm sure you know how no nightmare that is. I was like, Oh, we tested this before we got there. I'm, I'm trying to calling my better editor friends. How do I fix this audio problem? You know, loading it up to YouTube, doing the metadata tags myself. I mean, like you just have to go with it, but I've learned so much. And I think like, that's what is making me succeed because I, maybe I'm not an expert in everything, but I know quite a lot about a lot of different things in our business now. And that I think is what keeps me going is I'm always learning too. I love, I love hearing that. I mean, I'm just learning about PR firms and whatnot I'm with what I'm doing. And I love hearing your story. Um, this is very inspiring. And that's what this podcast is about being inspiring. And you don't have to be living in Baltimore. You have to live in New York. You can live wherever you are, but you can relate to something about everybody's story. Today, especially, right? Like you can, you can do anything you want from anywhere. I mean, like now, I mean, you know, you can order any piece of equipment that you need on Amazon and have it tomorrow with a basic camera or mic, you can make really high quality stuff. So many people are like their own content creators. Like you can connect, you know, say what you want, negative or positive about social media. Mm -hmm. 
but you can find other people. Like you need an editor, you need a sound person, you need a host. It's so, there's so much opportunity and that does, yes, make the landscape overcrowded sometimes. So you're like, how do I cut through the noise? But at the same time, again, like if you want to do it, the opportunity is there and it's just about realizing it's not going to, I mean, maybe you'll get lucky and your first thing you make is huge and that happens. Like, trust me, it happens. I've seen it. But for the most part, you're probably going to have to hustle and work really hard and stay consistent. But over time, that consistency pays off. And then, you know, suddenly you look back and you're where you want it to be. She just dropped the mic right there. She just dropped some jewels and gems for you folks. I love it. I don't know. It must be this great Zeke's coffee you got me. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, you've hit everything in the head that we wanted to talk about. I'm I'm very excited about it. Where can we find, you know, your website? Are you on TikTok right now? Are you TikToking? Are you doing? <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that I'm not on TikTok only because I would I recommend most of my clients because to do TikTok because it's blown up so much and it's it's such a great new platform. Part of me is like I'm just old and don't have the time, but I, I might get on there. But no, where you can find we're on everywhere else. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram. All um, the company for the website the side is at Press Pass LA. Um, and then for the agency, it's at PPLA social. Um, so you can find us on any of those tags on every other platform, but, but TikTok, but maybe TikTok soon, even Pinterest, which I don't even know why we have that anymore. <laughs> but, uh, and then me, um, I'm out there publicly on my Instagram at, at Jennifer underscore Buon and Tony. Try to find that. You will. There's not no one else with that last name. But <laughs> if you say Buon and Tony Italian, like it's easier. Trust me. There you go. So again, Ms. Jen, I appreciate you. Coming through Baltimore, showing Baltimore love. I got love some it. Zeke's coffee to hang out and chill. And, yeah, I uh, got to try that crab place you told me too. Coco's, Coco's. And mom and dad, I might not be home for dinner. Sorry. <laughs> Again, I appreciate you coming through. It was a really, it was opportunity where I always tell people, like you just said in your speech, don't don't turn down an opportunity when it comes right in front of you. And I had opportunity to have you come to Baltimore and just show you a little bit about Northeast Baltimore. And, and now you kind of like, you can go back and say, damn, all right. I kind of know a little bit about you got the best podcast in Baltimore. I had to stop and I'm super excited. Like I'm super proud of what you have built here. So, um, yeah, people should hit you up cause you have plenty of great advice too. Well, I remember we, you and I spoke, uh, during a pandemic actually. Yep. And I was asking you for advice because I just didn't know. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with me and just go over a couple of things. Well, we got to keep the cues, uh, cues going to the top, you know, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Folks, if you want to find me, you can find me on nopixafterdark.com or nopix after dark on all your social media. You can hit me on TikTok. I'm always doing something silly on TikTok. I got to join TikTok just to see if you dance or what you do on there. Shh, we can't <laughs> talk about that. You got to find it. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you so much for coming from LA to hang out in Baltimore for a hot minute, but we appreciate it. Love, peace, and happiness for our folks. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances, whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation, or consulting, nonprofit or small business, Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.